Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Look at this pillow. It, it's yellow. Would you call this pillow tacky? I would call it yellow. I wouldn't call it tacky. Well, it's not just yellow. It's well, also got gray and brown. And some gold. Some orange. In it. Yeah. Somebody on TikTok, I asked about something completely unrelated, and they spotted that pillow on our couch in the background of the video and was like, I see a tacky pillow. It's not. You know what? <laughs> you know what? That pillow, this pillow may well be ugly. I'm not going to say that it's not, but it's not tacky. It's ugly. Yes. It's loud. It's well, okay, so it looks like shag carpet from the 1960s, and I love it. And you don't have to love it, and you don't even have to think that it looks nice. It's an accent pillow, <laughs> and our living room has some what looks to be kind of like mid-century furniture. Yeah. And so it's it's period appropriate. Thank you. Yeah. You're tacky. Your attitude's tacky. So what's tacky. It always amazes me how some people can find things to complain about even in a TikTok video that has nothing to do with interior design. <laughs> you should never be surprised by people's shitbaggery. There was a thread on our favorite barbecue place from Bangor uh, about their redneck nachos. Yeah. They were out and people were so mad and they were saying like really rude things. And I was like, excuse me, <laughs> this is about nachos. Reevaluate your life. So it diverted into a uh, political throwdown? No, or? they had run out of nachos. Right. And people were mad. About the nachos? Yes. Well, I understand that. <sighs> what amazes me is people will jump into threads that have nothing to do with politics, for example, and then somehow manage to blame the problem on the opposing party. I know. It's, yeah, that's frustrating. But, I mean, at least it's more serious than nachos. Is it, though? Fair enough. All right, here we go. Now I really want nachos. Oh, my gosh, me too. Ooh, that's what we should have for dinner tonight. The very first time the ghost was sighted at Raynham Hall <gasps> was at a Christmas party back in 1835. 
The sighting was made by two colonels who were visiting, Colonel Luftus and Colonel Hawkins. I just picture them kind of leaning against the fireplace mantle on Christmas Eve with a snifter full of brandy, saying old-timey British things. Yeah. So they're doing that or something like that, and they see the apparition of a lady in a brown dress glide across the floor of the hallway and then vanish. They sketched what they saw. Others in attendance came forward afterward and said they saw the lady in brown as well. There were other sightings too. In fact, King George IV claimed to have seen the apparition standing beside his bed one night. Wow. When he stayed at the manor. That's a reliable source. One would think. The sightings continued down through the decades and in the century that followed, and some say it still happens today. This is the story of the brown lady of Raynham Hall. This sounds so familiar, and I can't quite play. I know we haven't talked about it. No, no. Raynham Hall is located in Norfolk, England. It's considered to be one of the most beautiful homes in the countryside. It took 15 years to construct, with the initial construction beginning in uh, 1619. Probably the most famous person to live at Raynham Hall was the second Viscount Townshend, who resided there from 1674 through 1733. His name was Charles, Charles Townshend. (laughs) And uh, he was responsible for promoting, this is pretty cool, he promoted um, and revolutionized agriculture production by promoting crop rotation methods so that it doesn't deplete the soil of specific nutrients. Excellent. Clever. But who is the brown lady? I think one of our Halloween stories was about the brown lady. Maybe that's where you heard yeah, it. Yeah, I think so. It's believed the brown lady is the lingering spirit of Lady Dorothy Townshend. Uh, She was born in Norfolk in 1686 and married Charles Townshend. Uh, Charles had been widowed for a few years prior. It wasn't his first marriage. Okay. It's believed that they had 11 children together and that they lived with their family at Raynham Hall. At some point, things started going sideways. Uh, There are a couple of versions of what may have happened. One version says that Dorothy was caught having an affair with Lord Wharton of the House of Lords. Oh, my goodness. And once it was discovered, Charles locked her away in the house. And uh, how she died is not clear either. Some say she was locked away. When she was locked away, she was separated from her children. And uh, this led her to dying of heartbreak, a Uh broken heart. But it's believed it's more likely smallpox. Yeah, that that sounds more like it. Always the smallpox. Either way, she died in 1726. Over the centuries, there have been many famous sightings of the Brown Lady. Sometime in the late 1800s, a Captain Frederick Marriott, who was a novelist and a friend of Charles Dickens, had heard the stories of the Lady in Brown. At the time, there were rumors floating around that this story was concocted just to keep people away from Raynham Hall because Raynham Hall was being used by local smugglers. Oh. And he was hoping to prove that the smuggler story was true. He spent three nights at Raynham Hall in the same room that Lady Dorothy stayed in. In fact, on the wall was a portrait of her in a brown dress with yellow trimmings. 
Bet no one called her dress tacky. <laughs> By the third night, he hadn't seen anything. Uh, but then two nephews of the current owners knocked on the door and uh, wanted to show him a new gun that they had ordered from London. Okay. Uh, these were young nephews. Apparently, gunplay was encouraged. Uh, Captain Marriott's daughter wrote in a book that she uh, authored in 1891 that was called There Is No Death. And she described the event this way, quote, the corridor was long and dark, for the lights had been extinguished. But as they reached the middle of it, they saw the glimmer of a lamp coming toward them from the other end. One of the ladies is going to visit the nurseries, whispered one of the young townshends to my father. Now the bedroom doors in the corridor faced each other, and each room had a double door with a space between, as in the case of many old-fashioned country homes. Mm -hmm. My father, as I have said, was in a shirt and trousers only and his native modesty made him feel uncomfortable. So he slipped between one of the outer doors, his friends following his example, in order to conceal himself until the lady passed by. I have heard him describe how he watched her approaching nearer and nearer through the chink in the door until she was close enough for him to distinguish the colors and the style of her costume. So let me just quickly, so I understand, he was embarrassed about his casual dress when he saw a ghost? Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, he was only in his shirt and pants, for crying out loud. He recognized the figure as a facsimile of the portrait of the brown lady. He had his finger on the trigger of his revolver and was about to demand it to stop and give the reason for its presence there when the figure halted of its own accord before the door behind which he stood and holding a lighted lamp, she turned her head, carried to her features, grinned in a malicious and diabolical manner at him. Oh my goodness. This act infuriated my father, who was anything but lamb-like in disposition, that he sprang into the corridor, full bound, and discharged the revolver right in her face. What? The the yeah. The figure instantly disappeared. The figure at which the space for several minutes, three men had been looking together, and the bullet passed through the outer door of the room on the opposite side of the corridor, lodged in the panel of the inner one. My father never attempted again to interfere with the brown lady of Raynham. Well, yeah. And I've heard that she haunts the premise to this day. That she did so at about that time, however, there is no shadow of doubt. There were many sightings throughout the years. One occurred in 1926 by the current Lady Townsend's son, who was very young at the time. He saw the brown lady standing on the stairs while he was playing with a friend. But one of the most famous sightings came on December 26th, again, right around Christmas, mm -hmm. in 1936. A magazine called Country Life published the story that made the legend of the brown lady famous. They sent photographers to Raynham Hall to take pictures to accompany the, uh, the article. Mm -hmm. And the article read, At about four o'clock in the afternoon, we came to the oak staircase. Captain Provind took a photo of it while I flashed the light. He was focusing again for another exposure. I was standing by his side, just behind him with the camera and the flashlight and a pistol in my hand, looking directly up the staircase. All at once... I detected an ethereal, veiled form coming slowly down the stairs. Rather excitedly, I called out sharply, Quick, quick, there's something. Are you ready? Yes, said the photographer, and removed the cap from the lens. I pressed the trigger of the flashlight pistol. After the flash, and on closing the shutter, Captain Proven removed the focusing cloth from his head and turned to me and said, What's all the excitement about? 
I directed his attention to the staircase and explained that I had distinctly seen a figure there, transparent, so that the steps were visible through the ethereal form, but nevertheless very definite and to me perfectly real. He laughed and said, I must have imagined that I had seen a ghost, for there was nothing now to be seen. The photo, when developed, however, shows what appears to be... Oh, the photo does show it. Yes, something strange coming down the staircase. Do you have the photo? Yes. That's not... That That's not real. There are many who debate that. The photo was given to a leading paranormal investigator named Harry Price, and he determined that the photograph was indeed genuine. But there were many of those who say the photograph was faked. By shaking the camera during that particular camera model's six-second exposure time, which is pretty long, and smearing a little grease on the lens, the effect could be easily recreated. Uh, The pictures also could have been superimposed one over another as well. Very easy to fake. The current Townsend family that lives in Raynham Hall also thinks that that photograph is fake. However, they very much believe that the brown lady is real. Do they think that that photo was faked by people who wanted to prove that they were seeing a ghost? They think that it was faked by the photographer to make the article in the magazine more compelling. And it worked. Oh, okay. People became obsessed with the story. But even though the Townsend family that currently lives there believes the photo is fake, they very much believe that the brown lady is real. She has made her presence known continually down through the decades and still does. They still run into the brown lady of Raynham Hall to this day. Really? My source information, There Is No Death, published in 1891 by Florence Marriott. Yeah, you mentioned that. The daughter of Captain Frederick Marriott, which is available still today. You can find it online. Barnes & Noble has it, believe it or not. I do believe it. Country Life Magazine, the article from Country Life Magazine, Burials and Beyond, Curious Archive, and Moon Mausoleum. There she goes, the brown lady of Raynham Hall. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight.
You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. Like many civilizations before and after, Vikings believed in an afterlife. Viking heaven was called Valhalla, and apparently it was a magical place. The Vikings believed that when you died, you went to Valhalla, and there you received a giant goat whose udders provided an endless stream of beer. Heaven indeed. So when we ended the last episode, you discovered something that had just come in on your phone that made you laugh hysterically. And you said you would explain what it was. Yeah. A few episodes ago, we were talking about art and what makes art good. And it just happened to come up as a total aside that I hated the book, The House of Sand and Fog. (laughs) (laughs) I really, really did. And so while we were recording a later episode, I got a text from my friend Keegan, um, who I have talked about on many occasions, and you all would be better for knowing her. She said, I listened to the most recent Boo episode, and I knew I had to dig up this photo (laughs) that expressed our shared hatred of House of Sand and Fog. (laughs) I had no idea that this photo existed, so I... I opened it up and it is me in some sort of public place with a copy of House of Sand and Fog and I'm gritting my teeth and I have my hands clenched in fists. Fists of rage. I was so angry apparently at this book. And uh, I also mentioned at some point during my rant about how much I hated House of Sand and Fog that I read it like, I don't know, nine years ago. (laughs) (laughs) But this photo has a date on it, and it's from 2001. (laughs) (laughs) So your hatred goes back decades. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got an email from Cam, and it just says, Number one, if you haven't already, don't watch the movie House of Sand and Fog. I will not. 
you may be upset with Sir Ben Kingsley and or Jennifer Connelly. Number two, don't read How High We Go in the Dark unless you're prepared to be both really fascinated and deeply disturbed. I don't know if I like the book, but I definitely won't ever forget it. Art was accomplished. Cheers, Cam. We got a message from Lindsay on Facebook. I hated House of Sand and Fog. (laughs) Each character thought to do the right thing, but then did the exact opposite. Giant pile of crap. We should start a Boo Reverse book club where we all don't read the same book for a month. We just go, Boo. (laughs) Boo. (laughs) I think we're on to something there. By the way, the author of House on Sand and Fog, his name is Andre, and I'm sure they're wonderful. Just not my, just can't, it's not for me. It's just not for me. That's fine. Appreciate your art and your skill. I could never write a book. I'm sorry. Are you feeling guilty like you just criticized somebody's sofa cushions as being tacky? I just think, you know, everyone has something to provide the world and and people. Sure. But it's just not everyone's something is something to everyone. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. And I just, I really didn't like his something. Yeah. Is all. It's like To Kill a Mockingbird. What the hell was Harper Lee thinking? You fuck right off. (laughs) Was one of our favorite books for both of us. (laughs) And I got to play the part of Walter Cunningham in a professional theater production once. You did an excellent job. Thank you. I didn't even think we were together then, but I remember being so proud of you. And I was like, (laughs) in the audience, like, oh my gosh, he's doing such a good job. (laughs) (laughs) Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The only podcast you're listening to at this exact moment don't think we don't notice things like that. This is The Box of Oddities. A wife sold in Wenlock Market in 1830 was quite determined that the transaction should go ahead, despite her husband's misgivings. Quote, the husband turned shy and tried to get out of the business. But the wife, Maddie, made him stick to it. She said, let be your rogue. I will be sold. I wants change. 
Wow, she was determined. Yeah. She's like turning it right around. Talk about flipping the script. Flipping that old English script. Wife selling was actually a practice that actually happened from the early 1700s through around the end of the 19th century. I'm so glad you're doing this. I have come across articles about this from time to time, and I I keep telling myself I need to go and learn more about this. Yeah. Not because I want to sell my wife. Thank you. But because it's... uh, Wait a minute. Interesting. Uh Uh-huh. I hesitated researching it because I thought it would make me really angry, (laughs) but it didn't. It's very weird. Let's get into it. Wife selling came about in England during the peak of the Industrial Revolution as a low-cost alternative to divorce. Nottingham Hidden History team's Joe Earp wrote, This obscure English custom probably began in the late 17th century. When divorce was a practical impossibility for all but the very wealthiest. According to History.com, sales would take on the form of kind of like a cattle auction at the time. After announcing the sale, the man would put a ribbon or a rope around his wife's neck, arm, or wrist and lead her to market. Either an actual market or just another public place where people would gather. Then he'd auction her off. All right. So is this like an organized auction where there would be several wives up for bid or just one at a time? It could be just one. Okay. Yeah. Often after he declared her virtues to the onlookers, she would be purchased by another man. And the previous marriage was pretty much considered null and void. And the new buyer was now financially responsible for his new wife. And what did she have to do in exchange for that? Well, she went, she went to live with this new guy. So she, in essence, became his wife. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah, it's like wife swap, but different. (laughs) It's like wife swapping, but with bitters. Oh, bitters. I was thinking like... Cocktail ingredients. Yeah. Okay. The use of the halter on the wife was symbolic, and once the rope was handed to the buyer, it was a signal that the deal was now concluded. More ceremonial in nature. Yeah. Yeah. Until the passing of the Marriage Act of 1753, a formal ceremony of marriage before a clergyman was not a legal requirement in England, and marriages were unregistered. All that was required was for both parties to agree to the union, so long as each had reached the legal age of consent. Women were completely subordinate to their husbands after marriage. In fact, it was almost as if the woman as a person ceased to exist. The wife and husband became one legal entity, with the husband being the only person in that entity that mattered. Sir William Blackstone in 1753 wrote, the very being or legal existence of the woman is suspended during the marriage, or at least is consolidated and incorporated into that of her husband, under whose wing protection and cover she performs everything. Married women couldn't own property in their own right, and they were indeed themselves property of their husbands. But after marriage became law, men could get out of a marriage without their wives' consent, but women couldn't get out of marriages without their husband's consent. All right, that's that was going to be my next question, was in a wife auction, does she have any say over whether or not she is? Is it a mutual thing? You know, this isn't working out. Why don't you sell me? It's more, hey, this isn't working out. I'm going to sell you. Yeah, I mean, it could be either. Oh, it could. Okay. 
Divorce was expensive for anyone that could get one. So even though wife selling sounds terrible, it might have actually ended up being a good opportunity for the woman. At this point, you had to seek a divorce through an act of parliament. So if a woman wanted to leave a marriage, maybe she would suggest, why don't you just sell me? Wow. With the hopes that someone that she knew or even a stranger that might be better than her current husband would come along. Economist Peter Leeson said in an interview with Vice, such sales enhanced the welfare of the Industrial Revolution era English wife. He said the wives who participated in wife sales chose to participate, and even those who seemed to do so reluctantly had the power to veto their sales. Wife sales permitted unhappy wives to trade marriages they valued less for marriages they valued more. All right, so it's not as horrible as it sounds? No. Okay. There were even opportunities for dudes whose wives had found other bows to save face by selling her to the man that she wanted to be with. I see, yeah. And he could pick up a little pocket change. And a little public humiliation. Maybe while he had her on the auction block, he Mm. was like, by the way, she smells after she picks corn. Yeah. There were even instances where the family of the woman were the highest bidders to buy her out of an unhappy marriage. Oh. Yeah. Okay. With no laws really working for women at this point, being sold was oftentimes the only way out of an unhappy marriage. And although some 19th century women objected, there are no records of 18th century women resisting their sales. Who was in charge of the records, though? That's a great point. Vet your sources. Great lesson, sweetheart. Well done. Thank you. Although the custom had no basis in law, really, and in later years sometimes resulted in prosecution, at least one early 19th century magistrate is on record as stating that he didn't believe he had the right to prevent wife sales. And there were cases of local poor law commissioners forcing husbands to sell their wives rather than having to maintain the family in workhouses. So, like, if you can't take care of your family, you don't get to keep them anymore. Wow. Sell them. Wow. Wife selling hit its peak in the 1820s and 1830s. And as the number of cases increased, so did opposition to the practice. It became seen as one of a number of popular customs that the social elite believed it was their duty to abolish. Because it really only happened among commoners. In the 1840s, the number of cases of wife selling began to decline significantly and largely ended in 1857 when divorces became easier. It was just less hassle, I guess, to just get a divorce rather than go to market with your wife. You know, when you think about it, it's going to be humiliating for one or the other. Either the husband or the wife. Probably the wife. But I can see where the husband might have been humiliated, too, when he's like, oh, she's really terrible at this. And then, you know, the bidding goes through the roof and he looks like an idiot. Oh, I didn't think about it that way. Generally, the auctioneer process was used to try to humiliate the woman. But I can see Mm. your point of view. Oh, turning it right around. I love it. Flipping that script once again. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of script flipping during Edwardian times. I got my information from Cotswold.info, History.com, Wikipedia, and all that's interesting. So they had wife auctions. They would actually sell wives. I wonder if there was any, like, bartering or maybe just good old-fashioned wife swapping. 
I'll give you, you know, my wife, you give me yours, we'll call it good. I mean, it seems reasonable. <clears throat> I would love to have been privy to the negotiations when you, if you were bartering right. some, you know, like your wife. Yeah, what do you give? I'll give you a, a pail of um, wheat. That's, no, that's not enough. Five pails. Two and a half pails of wheat. That's as high as I'm going to go and throw in a goose. That's that's the mm -hmm. conversation that was going on you, in my head. Were you saying pail of wheat? Yeah. Or a bale of wheat? Pale. Pale. A, a pale. A pale. A pail yeah. of wheat. Yeah. Yeah. They don't bale wheat, do they? Do they bale wheat? Now nah, they thresh it. And then it goes in a granary. Join me for more agricultural tips in an upcoming episode of the Box of Oddities. Anyway, uh, we got some mail. <gasps> we got so much mail. First of all, thank you to everyone who sends us mail. Mm. I just love mail day. Erica. Molly, Denine, we got your Christmas cards back. It happens. We got fewer back this year than we have in the past. Yes, I'm glad that I reminded them that it was an important time of year to update addresses. <laughs> we send Christmas cards to our patrons every year. That's what she's referencing. If you're just joining us from the uh, Cowboys-Buccaneers game. Also, we're still getting Christmas cards. Thank you so much to Rachel and family. Love the wax seal on the back, by the way. Very classy. Endelian sent me a copy of the 2023 Effin' Birds calendar. <laughs> it's magnificent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So thoughtful. Beautiful card from the Chatham family. Also the Chatham family. We're not sure how to pronounce it correctly. So go ahead and say both. We, yeah, and you can choose the one you prefer. Erica sent me a grocery list that turned out to be a recipe for what looks to be some sort of delicious holiday beverage. Gonna try this. Also, for a grocery list, impeccable penmanship. Impeccable. I love that people are sending grocery lists. I also got a best good friend's paw print from Erica and Stevie. Well, that's great. Thank you, everybody who uh, took the time to to send us something that was really thoughtful and and thank you for hanging out with us again we love you and we look forward to seeing you next time until then keep flying that freak flag and fly it proudly you beautiful freak and so let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands therefore it's been requested by those to whom i report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. A woman giving evidence in a Leeds police court case, case, court, courtroom, court case police. <laughs> oh, we are struggling today. <laughs> If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. 
The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed.